want to preach on something I've never preached on before at Vertical Encounter, and um, I want to to get into this. This will probably most likely be a series, um, and so we're going to get into this. Let me ask a question. How many are hungry for the will of God to manifest in your life? How many are tired of living an ordinary life? How many want to break some toxic cycles in your life? How many are tired of disappointing yourself? Come on, somebody. There's some things I want to show you. Tonight, I'm going to preach on the power of prayer and fasting. No, I did not cuss. Fasting. I know it feels like a cuss word, but it's not. It's much more dangerous. Fasting is something that the body of Christ has to understand in order to really get to the next level as it pertains to the things of God. And I want to talk about a couple of things here. And not only do I want to talk about it, I want to challenge for the first time really ever at Vertical Encounter a corporate fast this week. Um, no, I'm not talking about fasting Facebook. That probably come with the package. Um, but no, fasting food. Actually, fasting in its most basic definition. People say, well, I'm fasting. I'm, I'm fasting coffee. You're not really fasting. Fasting has to do with food. Flat out, 100%. The, the actual definition fasting means to actually close your mouth. So it's simply, you, in other words, you are coming to a place where you're denying access. And it has to relate with food. And we're going to talk about why that's so important as it relates to food. And uh, I believe that this is going to be some principles and some things by revelation that's going to help us break cycles in our life. Uh, we all have things that is toxic in our head that we're trying to overcome. And a lot of times we have tried reading books. We've tried even praying. We've tried uh, going to church. We've tried devotionals. We've tried a lot of different things. And they may work for a season, but they don't seem to have enduring change with some of these things that we attempt. The reason why I am preaching on fasting is because every time in the New Testament that you see the word prayer, over 78% of the time fasting is attached to it. It's not just prayer, but prayer and fasting. And it's really important to understand the two and how they work together. So tonight, I'm going to challenge you. Um, I told my wife we're going to take one day this week, and uh, I want to fast. My fasting day this week is going to be Wednesday. Uh, I'm going to take Wednesday all day, and I'm going to fast, and I'm going to fast um, food, uh, social, no social media, because it doesn't make no sense to fast food, but then you're on social media letting the all of everybody's what on their mind fill your mind. Um, so we're going to talk about what fasting is. So you ready? Amen. Everybody say the power of prayer and fasting. Come on, just say, Lord, teach me the power of prayer and fasting. Amen. I want to go to Isaiah 58, 3, verse 7. And we're going to read. And when we're ready, go ahead and, and read. If I could get somebody to grab me a water too. Whoever that. You got one. She's got one. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Let's turn his mic up just a little bit for me. Thank you. Go ahead. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. 
Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I chose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your... Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth. All right, let's go back up to verse 1 just for a second. You turned my mic up, turned me down, and it was his mic I was wanting to get up. Verse 1, just go there, or verse 3, just for a second. Read one more time. Why have you fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Essentially what's happening here in context, let me just break this down. I had Devon's going to play for us a little bit while I'm teaching so we can drown out the club scene over there. Um, So what's happening here in context is the people of God are fasting, but they're not fasting for the right reasons. They're fasting to get their agenda fulfilled. In other words, they're using God. They're trying to manipulate God for their own agenda, their own purpose. This is not what fasting is. And this is where the people make the mistake so much when we go to God. Even in prayer, we try to manipulate God. We try to handcuff God. We want God to, uh, to fulfill our desires, our dreams, our agendas, our purpose. You know, this is really the battle of so many people that when we come to God, we have already made up in our mind how we want God to perform. Are you hearing me? We already want God to perform a certain way. God, will you please do it this way? Will you please do it my way? Why? Because that's how we view God. Rather than coming to God saying, adjust my way of thinking. Prepare me for your way. Prepare me for your heart. Prepare me for your will. And this is the mistake that they was making. Now, real quick, go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And we're going to read 1 through 23. And then I'm going to get into just a couple points here. But this is worth us. Diving into 2 Samuel chapter 12, 1 through 23. Let's read. Then the two men in one city. A great many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he brought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Yeah, that's not right. First Samuel 12, please.
Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice and all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you. That's not it. Go to 2 Samuel chapter, uh, 2 Samuel 12, verse 10. I think we got too far ahead of ourselves here. Thank you. Right here, yep, that's it. Okay, let's read. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Now watch this. So we know the story of David, right? Essentially, David here was at a point to where kings were supposed to go to war. He ended up getting with Bathsheba. But before he could do that, he had to plot to make this happen. David tried to hide his iniquity and his sin. He thought he got away with it because nobody had said nothing. He was the king. If they didn't know something, they was afraid to say something because David would most likely have you killed. After all, he did just set up a plot to kill the husband of Bathsheba. And he tried to do it in such a way to where nobody would know, but they, he'd come to soon find out that God sees everything. And all of a sudden what happened was in this passage, David's minding his own business. He has a son born of, uh, to him and Bathsheba. And David is getting ready to, to raise the son and everything is going according to plan. Uh, he's living with the sin of it, not repented. This is the man after God's own heart. Not repented, just living life. And then all of a sudden Nathan, his prophetic voice comes to him and he gives him a word of the Lord. Isn't it just like God to bring somebody that is prophetic in your life the moment you're trying to hide something God's wanting to heal? Come on, somebody. You get comfortable in your sin. And then what happens is God sends somebody in your world to shake it up. To remind you, listen, you thought that I didn't see it, but I did see it. And I want to let you know that I've seen it and I'm going to judge it. Doesn't mean grace ain't there, but God judges us not because he's mad, but because he's trying to redirect our steps in a path of righteousness. God hates sin more than we hate sin. He doesn't like what it does to his kids. And so what happens is Nathan comes and he says, listen, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Watch verse 11 here. Go ahead and read from PT. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Mm. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also taken away your sin. You shall not die. Isn't it funny God takes away the sin but not the path to recovery? God took away the sin, but not the path to, some call it judgment, I call it the path to recovery. You hear me? I'm going to deal with the sin, it's forgiven. I'm not doing this because I'm holding something against you, I'm doing this to reshape your heart again. (laughs) You're forgiven, that's not an issue, I'm not holding it against you, I don't think you're bad, I love you just as much as I've ever loved you, I'm still going to bless you, I'm still calling you king, I'm still giving you the kingdoms, but the sword will never depart from your house. There will always be something now, a thorn in the flesh to remind you of the thing that you did and what it costs when you do it. Come on now, and this is how daddy is, and that's being a good father. That's being a good father. And all of a sudden, we know the story of David. We know what happened with Absalom. We know what happened with his family. The sword never really departed. 
David's still the greatest king Israel had ever seen. And this is the beauty of all of this. David, now watch what David does here. Here's the word of the Lord. Watch what he says here. He said, I'll take away your sin. Now watch, however, because by this deed, you have given occasion to the enemy of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born to you shall surely die. Watch. So Nathan went to his house. David therefore inquired of God for the child. David fasted and went and laid all night on the ground. The elders of the household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and he would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to our voice. How then can he tell? How can we tell him that his child is dead since he might do himself harm? But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he came to the house of the Lord and worshipped. What in the world is that? God judges him. His son dies. David finally finds out about it, gets up and anoints himself, cleans himself, and goes and worships God. On the backside of a judgment, he worships God. What is your response to his correction? What are you, how are you responding to when he corrects you? Are you mad and in your feelings because daddy had to discipline you? Are you going to be like a real son that actually is going to allow chastisement because God chastises or disciplines those who are sons of God? Real sons understand the power of enduring discipline because we'll never change without it. Thank God he loves us enough to break up the, 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 the pathway that our flesh is leading us on. Amen, somebody. And David, this is what gets me about the story. The prophetic word came. And it's not like Nathan. It ain't like Nathan was just given some flimsy prophetic word, y'all. This man was calling names out. He's saying, you did this to Uriah, to, to the Hittite. You did this, 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 this. And, and, and it ain't really sincere when David says, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I repent. Yeah, dude, you just got busted. It's one thing if you repent before it all happens, but your heart is repenting only because you just got blasted. Right? So now he's sorry. But this is the thing about it. David then goes before the Lord and tries to fast in hopes that God would give him grace and mercy and not take away his son. David still wanted to live with the fruit of his rebellion. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? Real repentance doesn't want the fruit of the rebellion. And David had to endure that. God loved him enough to forgive him but still allow the judgment to come. And it was all grace. And that's the beauty of grace is that it does come with discipline. It does come with adjusting us so that we can reflect the glory of God in everything that we do. Fasting does not change God's mind about the trajectory or the path he puts you on to lead you back to life. When we fast, it is not to change the mind of God. It is to change us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It is to change us. There is things that happen during fasting. Can we get a little deeper with this here tonight? 
I want you to write this down or put this in your phone or whatever it is that you got that you can remember stuff on. But fasting helps us to see God's will by denying our own appetites. Number one, some of us are struggling with what the will of God is on our life. And that's because you've actually never made a distinction between your flesh and your spirit, man. You don't even know the difference because you have no discipline. Because you've never actually told yourself no. And because you've never learned to tell yourself no, you don't have any discipline. Discipline is a crucial thing to anybody, not just the life of a believer, but anybody that's going to be anything in life. If you do not learn what the Bible calls self-control, God is not going to come back, come down and, and, and handcuff you into doing the things that are going to benefit your life. You're going to actually have to agree with God, lock arms with his will, believe in yourself enough that, that he loves you enough to stand with you, and then actually make some walks or some steps towards that which he's asking you to do. Discipline can be very scary because it makes us face our demons. And we don't like to face those things because when we face those things, we have to see a side of ourselves that we have been in denial about for so long. But you're never going to grow or become what God has called you to be without them. we got to face this stuff, y'all. Fasting puts us face to face with the things that need to change in our life. It's not just fasting by itself. It's not just getting hungry doesn't cause you to change. It's actually fasting with prayer that causes us to change. I'm telling you, pick a day this week. How many can commit with me and say, I'm going to dedicate myself one day this week to where we're going to fast? Now, I'm going to pick Wednesday. I would love for everybody to do the same day with me, but I know schedules are different. But I want you to pick one day this week to where you are actually fasting and that you get some alone time and prayer time during this fast. Um, don't mess up your fast by getting on social media. Don't mess up your fast by, by bombarding your mind with all kinds of carnal stuff. Actually do the best you can to, to isolate yourself in such a way to where God can begin to deal with you and speak with you. Okay? The moment when you start getting hungry, the moment when you start wanting to, to, to go and get whatever it is that you want to do, that's that flesh man rising up. It's going to say, hey... Eat, hey, eat, hey, eat, go get this, go get this, go do this. Oh, you fasted enough. God already heard you. You're good. You can at least do, you can at least do this. And God ain't going to care. That's that flesh man. Learn the voice of the flesh so that you can recognize when it's trying to deceive you. Learn it. When it speaks to you, learn it. Get acquainted with it so that you can say, hey, that's what you sound like, Joker. Right? And then you identify that. And then, 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 then you take responsibility so that when it's trying to lead you, see, the flesh is always your friend because it gives you what you want. The flesh never asks you to pay sacrifices. No, get what you want. The flesh is the amusement park side of you. It keeps you entertained. You don't have to deal with problems. Just think about this. Just, I'll give you this. You don't have to worry about this dysfunction. Just go ahead and indulge yourself over here. And then pretty soon you look up, 40 years have went by, and you ain't done nothing in your life that looks like purpose. You ain't done nothing in your life that looks like purpose. And then you're walking around with condemnation and guilt and shame and regret and all this stuff. And now you start putting on all kinds of different stuff all over that. And you don't even look like the person God made you to be. Come on, somebody. Fasting 
introduces us to our Goliath. It puts us right there in the face of our giants and it says, now, what are you going to do? Because you're never going to become who you're meant to be, David, until you face the giant you're meant to slay. Until you slay that thing, you're never going to be who God has called you to be. And I'm telling you tonight to get courage. To get courage to face the things that God wants you to face because on the back side of it, you're going to see yourself walking on the impossible. What you used to think was impossible, you're going to be walking on it. Just like Peter on the water, you're going to be walking on that thing because you have now learned to face the things that God is asking you to face. And some of us don't even know what those are until we start fasting and praying. Fasting and praying, it brings this stuff out of hiding. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It brings these things out of hiding. Some of us are not doing what we're doing simply because we just have a, a, a carnal mind. Some of us are actually being demonically influenced. The enemy's got you where you want and you don't even see it. You're blinded. And scripture speaks of that, that there will be a blind generation. They will listen but hear not. I said last year in Hosea, last week in in the book of Hosea, what did I say? I said that there would become a famine in the land, but for the word of the Lord. Not a famine of hunger, but a famine from the word of the Lord. People will actually starve not hearing the word of the Lord. Amen? I want to challenge us this week to actually fast. To actually consecrate ourselves. Put this down if you're taking notes. Fasting helps us identify our adversity. Or, excuse me, our adversary. It helps us identify our adversary. Also, number three. Fasting puts us face to face with that which has influence over us. It brings to the forefront that which has influence over us. I want to challenge you to fast this week. If you can't keep a covenant with yourself, you'll never be able to keep a covenant with anybody else. Make a covenant with yourself this week to fast. So get Wednesday's chicken night dinner out of your head. Wednesday's going to be Matthew 17. Read it. That's, you're going to learn what Jesus said. My, my meat is to do the will of the Lord. Some of y'all starving and don't know it. Because you ain't had nothing from the will of the Lord yet. Until the will of the Lord serves up the dinner, you have never really tasted of what he's, what he's wanting for your life. You don't have to live miserable. There is another you that's on the other side of facing what God wants you to face. I'm telling you right now, some of us are looking outside of ourselves for happiness, joy, all this stuff that we need. It is on the other side of you facing this giant that God wants you to face. You have views of yourself that are not accurate according to the kingdom. And you can't just come to an altar and just declare a bunch of stuff. And we love to declare and decree in church. I decree and declare and declare and decree and decree and declare. We, we just do it all the time. And, and, and it doesn't work if there is no consecration it's attached to. Soul ties are not broken by you yelling at stuff. 
Authority, it doesn't come. Just because you're yelling don't mean it has authority on it. Just because you're screaming doesn't mean that it impresses God. Soul ties will live right in the midst of your arguments. They don't care about that. Soul ties are broken by us getting ourselves together, by doing what we are called to do. Every step that we take in the direction of consecration, that thing gets a little weaker. Eventually, you keep walking it and stepping in the will of the Lord and doing what he's asking. That thing is going to die eventually. And you're going to have a renewed mind. And you're going to start reflecting the, the perfect will of the Lord in your life. Amen. That the renew, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your thinking, that you may prove that which is good, perfect, and acceptable. In other words, you will put on demonstration the will of God for your life. Amen. So we have to, we have to understand the power of this thing. I really feel in my spirit tonight that there is people that are in this room. I know I was supposed to preach this tonight. That there is those of us in this room that God is wanting to completely annihilate some dysfunction in our life. And it's on the backside of a serious consecration. And I'm just asking to start with a day. I'm just asking you to start with one day. One day. Maybe we'll up it next week. But one day to where you consecrate yourself. Shut your phone off. Do what you have to do. To get alone. Do not make yourself accept, uh, uh, accessible. And get alone with God. And fast. And every time you feel hungry, pray. Because that's the moment when your flesh is warring with the will of God. That's the moment when your flesh is warm. That's why hunger in, in fasting food is so important. Because it's actually starving our flesh, man. Do you realize that we ain't as hungry as we think we are? Most of us go to eat because our mind is ready. Not our stomach. Do you know that your appetite comes from your mind, not your stomach? Your body craves good nutrients. Our mind craves whatever we've had an experience with. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Your body doesn't desire sugar. Your mind does. It's, it's psychological. The beauty of fasting is that it takes... It, 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 the discipline of the fasting, what it does is it puts us face to face with the things that we have relied on, the things that we have become dependent on. And we stand there and we face it and we say, no, I'm breaking this pattern. And it is, that is the greatest decree and declare that you can possibly do. You may not have to say nothing, but your actions decrees and declares that you're ready for a new life with a new mindset. And this is what I'm doing to make that change. I'm denying myself. Are you hearing me? We have to get to a place to where prayer and fasting it's good. I want to go here to Matthew 17. I'm just going to give you this last one. Matthew 17, verses 14 through 21. Let's read. Watch this. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? 
How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Isn't it funny that he said you unbelieving and perverted perversion is typically the fruit of unbelief. He said you unbelieving and perverted generation. Y'all catch that? That's wow. Let's continue. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came. Why could we not drive? said to them because of the littleness of your faith for truly I say to you if you have faith the size of a you will say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you so this kind does not go out except by prayer and fast now it has been interpreted here that what Jesus was talking about there was the demon but that's not what he was talking about Everybody usually teaches this and they say, well, what comes out through prayer and fasting? Well, the demon. No, no, no. That's not what he said. He was talking to the disciples. And he said to the disciples, he said, you unbelieving generation. What was coming out through prayer and fasting was unbelief. It wasn't the demon. It was unbelief. That's the goal of prayer and fasting is it begins to shake up our belief system because that's I'm telling you right now, some of us right now, the the root cause of why all flesh manifests is unbelief. That's where it all manifests from. I don't care what your struggle is. It could be anything. You could, if we raised our hand and all put it on the table, there would be a, a vast amount of information as it relates to what manifests through unbelief. But the root of it is unbelief. Unbelief, 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 unbelief. The reason Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead wasn't just because he loved Lazarus so much. Lazarus is already good. Lazarus is already good. God already, God already had him. That wasn't a problem. Jesus said, I'm doing this so that they may believe. <laughs> this had nothing to do with raising the dead. This was raising their faith. This was more about the ones that was living. Jesus didn't really have a hard time with dead people. I mean, he seemed a little harsh at sometimes. He said, let the dead bury the dead. I'm not going to be with you always. The poor always be poor. I'm not going to be here always. Come on, come on, stay with me. Like, that seems, a, just don't real seem charitable. But Jesus had a mission and a mandate, and he was trying to give himself into the earth. It was a problem when they brought the boy to the disciples, and the, the, the guy said, I brought him to your disciples, they couldn't heal him. That, that probably made Jesus a little frustrated that you've been walking with me this long and you ain't enough of me on you to be able to handle business when it's time to handle business. You've been coming to church this long and you still got unbelief. You've been dealing with me this long and you still don't have what I'm trying to give you. I mean, he would say things. How long shall I tarry with you? How long shall I tarry with you? He goes to pray. And he said, you can't even pray with me for an hour. You want to change the world? You can't pray for an hour? You get bored when we pray for an hour? If I have a worship conference, everybody in the city is coming to Vertical Encounter. But if I have a prayer meeting, where y'all at? Everybody wants to come and hear Psalmist Rain or whoever else we bring in. But nobody wants to show up if there's no names. It's just an altar in prayer. You're 
unbelieving generation. How long will I have to be with you? Jesus shouldn't have to stop what he's doing to go deal with a demon. That's beneath him. Just use my nature. Jesus goes, he says, this comes out through prayer and fasting. Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Some of us right now are plagued with carnal mindsets and ideologies that have come from the world's way of thinking simply because we have not drawn from our experience with God. You cannot cure carnal ideology by theology. You can only cure it by an experience with God. Some things that happen in that experience with God goes beyond the mind's ability to even comprehend it. You just know it's real. (laughs) You just know it's real. Theology is the catch-up of what we've already experienced. We're catching up to it. That's what it really is. I'm telling you, we need to break the power of unbelief. How many love Pastor Shawnee and I? And we love you too. I would not be a good pastor if I didn't preach messages like this. We are a beautiful ministry with a beautiful church with great people. But so many of us are carnal. And I'm telling you right now, that has to change. And I'm telling you as a pastor, as a man of God, a gift to your life. We've all got to grow in this area. And I believe this week, if you'll commit with me, this week, let's get to a point to where we consecrate. One day a week, let me see your hands. You can say, Pastor Gary, I'm with it. One, I'm going to do it one day a week. Commit, and, 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 and I'm telling you, something's going to change. I want to hear the testimonies. I want to hear what it is God's speaking to you, saying. I know we're going to commit um, in our house as leaders and, and, and be on the forefront of this, but I really feel, I really feel like God is wanting to transform lives and it's on the backside of us consecrating. It's on the backside of us consecrating. Um, and so I want to challenge you to do that. I want to challenge you. Some of us right now are plagued with unbelief and it's not your fault. Sometimes it's just the way we is brought up. It's the things that are around us. It's the things we entertain. It's the, it's the small things that accumulate over time. There's many reasons why people fall into unbelief. But I'm going to tell you right now, if we consecrate, God will begin to reveal those foundational things that detoured us. And then we confront them with truth. And you'll hear yourself, you'll feel yourself getting free in the inner parts again. And that's when you're going to see God begin to move. You're going to feel his presence stronger than ever. You're going to understand his leading more than ever. He loves you so much and he has a serious will and purpose for your life. But you're going to have to pay the price for it. Going to have to pay the price for it. We're going to have to consecrate so that our hearts are near to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen, somebody? I want you to stand to your feet tonight. Do you receive this word? Amen. When you consecrate this week and when you pray, when you pray, when you consecrate this week, don't go into prayer trying to twist God to your agenda. Don't do like David did. Don't do like so many others did in Scripture. Go into prayer and ask for direction. Go into prayer and ask for direction. 
Sometimes when I'm praying, I don't even listen to worship because it will sometimes detour the direction he wants to go in my prayer life. Because you'll, you'll start hearing worship and they'll start doing something and saying something and then you're into that or you're listening to that or I'll start singing. And sometimes the worst thing to ever happen to a worshiping heart is you singing. Especially the singers. Their gift can get in the way of their worship. So it's, it's really important to, to make sure that we come to a place in our hearts to where we are at a place of rest when we come into prayer. And, and, and don't rush it. Just let God speak. Sometimes I'll go with a pen and paper and I'll just write. Just let God speak. You are meant to walk around with glory on you. You're unique. People, when you spend time with God, can I tell you something that happened to me uh, Tuesday night? Crazy stuff happens to, to me. I don't. <laughs> I went to get groceries with my kids Tuesday night. I go to Kroger. I'm, I can't remember what aisle it was. And there was a lane that was open. So I said, well, I'll just check out here. And I got this thing to where I, I don't really like bagging. <laughs> So I like to go where they bag. And uh, so I went in there and got up. It was a, probably a young, young black kid, probably 23, 24 years old. I didn't think nothing. I, he looked normal to me. And uh, he's got a mask on. Everybody's wearing a mask. There was a gentleman before me. He checked out, went. Everything was cool. When I got up, this kid starts talking to himself. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought he was on the phone, like Bluetooth. Like, this kid talking on the phone while he's working. So I'm looking, nothing's in his ears. So he kept saying that. I said, huh? He looked at me. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not talking to you. Huh? I'm, I'm not talking to you. So finally, my nosy said, well, who are you talking to? He said, oh, uh, us, us. I'm, he said, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm, I'm talking to us, talking to us. <laughs> so I'm, who is us? You're talking to us. And then so finally I, I said, uh, you just having a whole conversation with yourself, huh? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, we got a meeting. We got a meeting coming up. We got special plans for Detroit. Special plans for Detroit. It's coming up. As soon as he said it, I felt demonic presence. And I, he said, we got special plans for Detroit coming up. And I said, what was that? He said, you're not invited. You're, well, you, you can come, but he can't come. Because at that point I said, oh, I know what I'm dealing with. I know what I'm dealing with. You go, and he said, oh, it's, it's a witchcraft meeting. That's what he said. It's a witchcraft meeting. I said, Jesus. No, he can't come. He can't come. He's not welcome. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm about to go crazy in Kroger. It's about to be Jesus party up in this boy. Aisle six, revival. So I just grabbed my groceries. I didn't feel led of the spirit to deal with it at that point. That's very important with anything deliverance. I once preached a service where a guy manifested in the back right before I spoke. And he was yelling and screaming at the top of his lungs. And all the preachers went over to rebuke the demon. I asked them all to leave him alone. I told the, told the spirit to shut up. The preacher got mad at me. This was years ago. He got mad at me. He said, why wouldn't you deal with that by the authority of God? I said, I did. I shut him up until I was done so y'all could hear what God told me to tell you. I'll deal with him at the end. He'll still, the demon will still be there. <laughs> and dealt with it. Those who used to come to Vertical Encounter on 7 Mile, it, stuff like this would manifest all the time. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff would happen. We just got in a little carnal here. And we're, we're going to shake that up. Because we're supposed to be a beacon in the city. 
this is a place of deliverance. This isn't a place where you come and get comfortable. There's a lot of big churches you can go to for that. This ain't VC. VC is where you come to get transformed. That's what the heart and the, 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 the thrive of this ministry is built off of. And it woke me up. I went and I told Sean, I said, you ain't going to believe what happened. I told her. And she just said, man, this stuff always happens to you. And it really has. It, every demarcation of my life, I've experienced a demonic encounter. Stuff that, that stuff that, that freaked most people out. And this isn't just storytelling. This is real, like real stuff. When I was called to leave Battle Creek, Michigan as a 17-year-old kid to get the decision to go to Flint, Michigan and sit up under uh, Gary Inslee, I knew nothing about prophetic ministry, deliverance, nothing. I knew nothing about it. I was just a kid that loved to worship and loved God. And I'm getting ready to leave. Nobody in my family ever left Battle Creek, Michigan. They're still there. They live there. They'll die there. That, that, that's, that's what it is. And, and, and nobody ever left. And God always, I believe God always has a Joseph in every family. The one that is going to make a difference and change the trajectory of destiny. And all of a sudden, I, I was getting ready to go. I knew the guy was coming to pick me up the next morning. I didn't have a license. He was coming to pick me up and take me up to Flint, Michigan, and I was going to be his his worship leader and, and whatever else he needed up there. And and all of a sudden, I I said, man, I got to walk to the store. I go and I walk to the store, and I, as I walked, it was late, about 11 o'clock at night. I walked, and as I, let's say the front of the store was here, and I was walking through the back alley. And when I pass here, there's a man standing in a, a black trench coat with real beady eyes. He says, where do you think you're going? And I, I just kept walking past him, and I said... I was ready to say something, and I just turned around, and he was gone. Now, you remember, man, there's nowhere to go. He can either come where I can see him, or I just walk around the corner. It's a wide-open parking lot. He, he vanished. There, there's nobody that fast. He was gone. I said, oh, my God. Went home. I'm praying. I said, this is crazy. I knew when he said, where are you going? He wasn't talking about at that moment. He was talking about where I'm getting ready to do tomorrow morning. I knew it in my spirit. That's what he was asking me. He knew I was getting ready to make a decision that wasn't in his plans for his will for me. And I got there. And the, the day I got there, Pastor Enzi gave me $50. He said, man, go to the mall, get you something to eat, get some, get some clothes. Because I went there with just what was on me. I was a poor kid. Went there with what was on me. said, go, go get you some clothes. I went to Panda Express up in the food court in Genesee Valley Mall. I sat down in the food court. As I sat down, I looked up. The man was sitting next to me. And he looked at me. He said, I asked you, where are you going? And I did like this to look down. He was gone. Poof. Beady eyes. I remember his eyes to this day. Not to mention the dreams that my wife has had of demonic encounters over my life. To where she'll wake up and she'll tell me I had a dream and this is what he looked like. And she describes that dude to a T. I believe there is a demonic force that is assigned to my life to detour me or distract me from the purpose of God. Because God don't want people hearing what I'm telling you right now. You have a choice to follow the will of God for your life, and you have a choice to follow the will of the enemy. And I'm telling you right now, the more serious you get with God, the more he's going to start showing his hands. Right now, we don't have to do much to you because all you got to do is prick your flesh and you're there where you want you. But there's going to come a time when he knows your heart's getting serious, and you're going to start walking and consecrating and doing the things you're supposed to do. And then that's going to say, oh, it's time to step up our game a little bit. Now we got to get a little more serious. Now I'm going to have to start showing my hand. You're going to see more demonic opposition as you start walking in the things of, the, the things of God. Right now, it don't take much to distract you because you're all flesh. 
But once that breaks and you start getting serious with your relationship with God, it's no longer songs you're just singing because the worship leaders ask you to sing it, but now you're singing from your heart. Then, and only then, you're going to begin to see how real this thing really is. Don't live your life playing with God. Don't live your life. There is a spirit that is hovering over this world right now that is distracting us, that is causing us to become numb to the things of God. And I'm telling you, wake up. You're supposed to be a part of the remnant, not the world, the remnant. It's hard. I don't like preaching these messages because I don't, I don't want to hurt people. But man, if, if, if I didn't love you, I got to preach it. If you leave the church, I'm sorry, but you will never be able to stand before God and say he didn't tell you. He did tell you and you ran. Ain't nothing the world can give you that will last. It doesn't have nothing to give you, has nothing to offer you. The kingdom of God is where we are truly satisfied. I just want to pray on the well. Actually, come here, baby. I want you to.